Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. With our lives, not just in what we do on Sundays for 52 times at 10 o'clock, but with our every breath, with the use of our limbs, with the meditations of our heart. God, we want them not just to be acceptable, but to be glorifying to you. And let it begin now. As we give our minds and our hearts and attentions to the exposition of your word. In Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. We're going to punt on offering until the end. Oh, we already, we did do it. Oh, praise God, it was happening. I was in worship. I was so, I was in the third heaven. But um, what we are going to do is um, one of the things that Trey has um, just been nailing it with our written portions of liturgy. Uh, can we just bless God for Trey, man? That's, that's been a lot. Him and not me. It's been a lot, our brother. And uh, just really giving our brothers and sisters the opportunity to be engaged in worship um, by reading. I've loved that too. Um, and so one of the last pieces of written liturgy that we have for you this Advent season um, is the background of Simeon's story. And I bought uh, two of our favorite um, members from far away. Um, to come and lead us uh, in that portion today. So would you give your attention to Emma and Amanda as they come and read for us today? Emma, I'm going to put you right here, lovey. And Amanda, you can be right here. About a month old. His parents bring him to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord in keeping with the law. At the temple, they have several encounters that confirm what the angels had told the shepherds on the day of his birth. The baby was the promised savior. The first person we meet is an old man named Simeon. Luke tells us, This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. We don't know much more about Simeon, except that he was led by the Spirit to come to the temple on this day. And upon seeing Jesus, he takes him in his arms and cries out in prayer. This prayer, overflowing with gratitude at the fulfillment of God's promise, is sometimes called nunc dimittis for the first two words of the prayer in Latin. In a number of Christian traditions, this prayer is used in the liturgy of daily evening prayers, meaning that Simeon's worshipful response to his encounter with Christ continues to ring out around the world to this day. Simon prays, or Simeon prays. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people of Israel. Amen. 
Amen. Once again, it is good to see you. It's good to be back with you. Thank you for allowing me and my family and myself to hide away for a little bit. Sometimes I just need some seasons and spaces to not be Pastor Tim. That's uh, important. Um, So I like to go hide. If you ever don't see me, that means I don't want to be seen. So amen for that. Amen for that. (laughs) Don't look for me. Where Pastor Tim? Don't look. No, look, he all right. Somebody know. Amen. Um, But no, truly, it's good. I love being here. I feel home. And um, I'm ready to preach. So just buckle your seatbacks for the next two hours. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm going to get on with it, man. Hey, you know, um, what we wanted to do during this Advent season was really to highlight individuals um, who have been used in God's grand salvation narrative. Um, and, 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 and just pull them uh, maybe from the background to the forefront and see if there were redeemable qualities or virtues that we can glean from and learn from and also just see the unique ways that they point um, to our Savior. And so in that same fashion, the last message I have for you um, is just one uh, where we see real people, everybody say real people, waiting and spirit-led. Real people who are waiting and spirit-led. Mike, pull, can you pull me back a little bit in the monitor? I, I feel bad for y'all. Sometimes I give my own self a headache. I'm like, oh, good, good God Almighty. Um, and so um, what we will kind of uh, just walk through real quick is just the ordinariness of the individuals that God uses in his salvation plan. We'll see what they do. They wait. We're waiting people, and we're also a spirit-led people. And these are three really important things. But before I really get into my three points, um, I just wanted to expound on a little bit of the background that Amanda and Emma read for you. Um, It's, you know, we can't zoom past this. it's important that when this kind of, how many of y'all um, have, um, y- yes, you have Bibles, right? And if you are reading from the ESV, NS, NIV, NLT, uh, usually the translators have done a good job for you and they give you subheadings, right? You get chapter two and then you get a heading that introduces the next 12 verses and then you get a subheading that's introducing the next couple of verses. And so what we see here in Luke 2, as you read through really Simeon's narrative, um, it's really, uh, it starts at verse 22, kind of goes through verse 40. Um, in your Bible, what's it say? Or on your phone, anybody looking down, what it say? The prophecy of Simeon. Um, mine says Jesus presented in the temple, right? Um, and so I think um, one of the things before we just kind of get into Simeon, I just wanted to highlight for you um, something that I think is really, really important. This section of Scripture really refer, it's going to refer to the law multiple times. And it's going to, re- um, in Luke's gospel account, the temple is going to be featured a bunch of times. And I think that Luke's going to do that. He's going to emphasize the law. He's going to in- emphasize the temple and its prominence in um, Israel's history and Jesus' life um, because I think it's important for you to know that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they follow the law of Moses. They respect the law of Moses. 
and the way that our Savior comes into the world is not in opposition to the law. Listen, I know I've sat with you a bunch of times, and I know that some of you have been sitting at some misinformed footstools of some misinformed theology. And if you do TikTok theology, the only thing you know is Jesus. No, it ain't about law. It's about relationship. And the law this and the law that and the law, and you just made an enemy out the law. And I just want to just help you now, okay, because I don't want you to be out there. Don't tell them what church you're going to and talking about Jesus hated the law. Ah, 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 ah. Let's get you right now. Let's straighten you up, right? I think this is really, really important that our Savior's going to the temple to be purified and consecrated. Matthew 5 and 17 says it to you explicitly that Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? That the law was revealing, you do know this, who wrote the law? God did. And yes, it got really strange when all of the, the, the leaders of Israel broke them down into extra things and just compounded it and compounded it. But the original law was pure and it revealed the heart of our loving creator. And that's why Jesus, the God-man, didn't come to abolish it but to fulfill it because the law was pointing to something greater. And so what we see here, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, Jesus going to get consecrated, Jesus going to get purified. Verse 18 of Matthew, 17, Matthew 5 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And I love that. A um, couple of things also that you see from that brief introductory passage, that purification rites, it was necessary for mothers 40 days after the birth of their son to go through the purification rites. And it's also mixing in also um, some Levitical, right, some Nazarite vow kind of stuff too um, that um, uh, D.A. Carson would say that Levites serve on behalf of the firstborn sons. And uh, Luke combines the purification and the consecration rites as he focuses on Jesus' total commitment to God. This whole idea of the reason why firstborn sons were purified, they were consecrated to the Lord. This was a response to God sparing the lives of the firstborn sons during the Passover event. So Jesus doesn't come and set up an outside system. He gets with what God's already been doing. Oh, man, this is, this is an ordinance. I'm coming, and I'm with it, and I love it. One of the other cool things is that you'll see is that um, in verses uh, 23 of Luke 2, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is really cool. If you zoom by it, you'll miss it. But one of the things that would happen is for what you did, if you were a mother, you would bring an offering um, to the Lord. Usually that was supposed to be a lamb. To bring a pigeon... A, a, a pair of doves and two young pigeons was a concession. This gives you a little bit of insight into Mary and Joseph money. They ain't had no bag, y'all. Right? The ideal thing was, oh, we'll bring a lamb, but they didn't have the money for that. But just because they didn't have it, it didn't stop them from wanting to honor God and respect and follow the audience. And they brought what they had, y'all because they wanted to get in line and be submissive to the law of Moses. 
I should just give you a picture into Mary and Joseph's faithfulness to the law. Because that's a repeated theme that one of the things that we preach through as we preach through Elizabeth and Zechariah, that these people were righteous and devout. And I think we see that now in Mary and jo Joseph too. These aren't people who are off the beating path of what fidelity to Yahweh looks like. These are people who are committed to following his ways. It's just an important picture. So what do we do with the law since you just brought us into that? I just want to let you know. The law, nothing broke about it, right? It, in its essence, in its substance, it reveals the heart of our God. That honestly, if we followed the Decalogue, we'd all live in the world we want to be in, wouldn't we? If we all followed it to the T, it'd be just right. But the problem was with the law, you could write it down, take it home somewhere, argue with your auntie. What Jesus does, Jeremiah 31, in bringing in and ushering in the new covenant, the big thing that Jesus does is he now offers efficacy. Everybody say efficacy. No longer what the law was faulty at, it was, um, the standard was amazing, the ideal was amazing, but what it could not do is it couldn't make the subjects do what it demanded. That's the big problem. Hey, be holy. Well, shoot, I can't be holy. See, the law was just a standard. It couldn't do. When Jesus came in, now he brings in a more efficient way because now Jeremiah 31 says the law is now not outside of us. It's written on our hearts by God's spirit. It also offers efficiency because now we don't have to keep going to the temple and bloodying up our knees and bloodying up sacrifices, right? Because once and for all, he offers one sacrifice and he goes and sits down. <laughs> you know that they had a tenure on being a priest in Judaism? You usually got out of that thing about your 50s. I think probably because of the physical demands. You know, we had a wedding last night. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I had to do a little stretching this morning because my wife liked to dance, but these knees don't do all that stuff, <laughs> right? How many of y'all know Jesus said, it is finished? He fulfills the law, right? All that to say that has nothing to do with Simeon, but I thought it was important for us today just to understand. But this is the world that Simeon is in. This is what we find out. And all of a sudden, in this grand epistle, we just get the dude's name mentioned a couple times out of nowhere. We have nothing about his lineage. We don't know his hometown. We don't know where he comes from. All we just know is that verse 25 just appears. Now, in the middle of Jesus being presented in the temple, now there was a man. Everybody say a man. In Jerusalem called Simeon. Now, um... We do know this, there are things in figures of speech, definite articles, indefinite articles, and you see that word A, that's an indefinite article, right? And what that indefinite article does in place in front of the man, it, one of the things we know is it used, it, it's a, a device to show that a person or a thing is a part of a group, and it's kind of non-distinguishable from the group. It's just a man from Jerusalem. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's just a man. Simeon is just a man. And as, as a matter of fact, if you were reading it in other Greek translations, you might just, that word anthropos, a man of the human race. There ain't nothing special about Simeon, y'all. He's just a man from Jerusalem. 
and you just a man from Memphis, and you just a woman from Collierville, and you just a woman from Bartlett. But those are the people our spectacular God likes to use. And those are the people our spectacular God likes to bless. And those are the people who are not forgotten by our God. Just indefinite, ordinary people trusting an extraordinary God. Do I have anybody in here today who would? Come on, man. Elizabeth was just a woman who needed and offered companionship, as George taught us. Zechariah was just a man who had doubts that the Lord actually allowed to use this doubting, regular old man, but God allowed him to give birth to the great prophet and allowed him to prophesy these magnificent truths about the Savior of the world. Mary was just a teenager. God can call you at any time, at any space to play a role in his extraordinary story. Do you believe that today, that your lives are not insignificant and it has nothing to do with your station, it has nothing to do with how much you make, it doesn't have nothing to do with how your community sees you, but that you are connected to the main protagonist in this drama, it's Jesus. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't say there's nothing distinguishable about Simeon. We do learn in verse 25, along with Zechariah and Elizabeth, like I said before, this man was righteous and devout. He learned and obeyed the law of Moses, just like we saw Mary and Joseph presenting Jesus because they were committed to the covenant way, so was Simeon. And what do we find Simeon doing? According to verse 25, we find Simeon waiting. Everybody say waiting. Come on, where y'all black Baptocostals at? I don't mind waiting. Come on, man. Y'all ain't got two CCM down. Y'all got to get some Shirley Caesar. Get the Shirley Caesar up in there. But he's waiting for something specific. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is just fancy terminology for God's deliverance. Everything that they would be doing, um, you know, I, I, I oftentimes the, the only thing I could connect this to in my head is I, I have to imagine I was raised by men and women who literally were on their way home from school and can remember and recall um, going home from school, getting off the bus, getting to their doorstep, soaked, and they're soaked with saliva. I was raised by that crew. I was raised by crews who remember uh, police officers beating up kids and dropping them off in front of their house. We just raised by that crew. And I could just imagine those people always having a underline but one day. Like, yo, we, we dealing when we, we have to nurture each other's wounds and we have to collectively um, try to uh, 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 nurture each other through trauma and all these things. But one day, and if you were an Israel, Israelite in Palestine, you just have to understand how hard and how traumatic these experiences were. But everybody collectively always had the same refrain, but one day. But one day, so they waited, they waited. According to Luke 2.38, it, it, it just goes on to prove my point further. It says, all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This was an, a universal thing of the collective community. I know there's groups of people in this room, you, you know, at each, in, at each point, 
in this great, you know, the annals of time, there's been different groups who have suffered different things. I, I see Vietnamese people, people, I see Irish people, I see African people, I see immigrant people, I see all kinds of people, I see poor people, I see all kinds of things going on in this room. And at any given point in time, I think one of the tricky things is as one ethnic group suffers, one is usually suffering at the hand of another, and then it flips, and then it flips, and nobody ever suffers together. But I think one of the things that the new covenant is supposed to do, the new body of Christ is supposed to do is that it's not just the black folks waiting right now. It's not just the Mexican folks waiting right now. That what has been done for us since Christ came and offered himself for us and it came once and it will come again, that all of us assume the posture of waiting. You know the one thing we all have in common? We're all waiting. And it doesn't matter if you get the promotion because that's not what we're waiting on. And it doesn't matter if you have five kids and I'm barren. That's not what we're waiting on. The one thing we have in common is the same thing that ancient Israel, that one day someone's going to fix it all, y'all. There is a great salvation coming politically, economically, socially, spiritually that this world has not seen before. We are all waiting. I think at Advent time we get to tap into that. You know, there's so much. I, I could feel it. I'm looking at Big J. I could feel it, man. It's like I had a couple days off kissing on my boo dancing the night away, eating everything that I wanted to eat, smelling tinsel and seeing all that. I love it. And I could feel it, y'all. I could feel it. I could feel it. It's like, ooh. And it's just like, wait a minute. Slow down, bro. Enjoy. But I think we have to remind ourselves that there's so much hope that comes with the beginning of a new year usually. But it's just a matter of time, and it's okay. It's just a matter of time before we feel the brokenness in the not yet of this world. But it's okay because we knew that, yo. We knew that. And we knew the fresh J's weren't going to solve the problem in my heart. We knew that. We knew that. But if we assume the position of Simeon, even when we experience the brokenness and the not yet of this world, and we're forced to remind ourselves that we are a waiting people inherently, but the God of consolation will bring it. He's going to bring it, y'all. And we get to share in Simeon's testimony. I think one of the other cool things that we don't want to miss in this is how spirit-led these people are. You have real ordinary people who assume the posture of waiting, which is what all of God's people do, because as long as he has plans and we don't have to, we're going to always be waiting. I, oh, Jesus. One of the things I despise about Christmas is them gifts and Lily Grace and Daddy, can we, can we, can we? And I'm just, wait, baby. And Daddy, Daddy, can we, can we, can we? Just wait, baby. And, you know, me and Gina were away somewhere, and my middle son, I, I said, brother, if you call your mama phone one more time, about Xbox game systems, do not. And Gina's just like, baby, just wait, just wait, just wait. 
It's like, oh, gosh, nobody likes waiting, but that's what we are. He got the plan, we don't, so we wait. He got the power, we don't, so we wait. And we trust. And it's like we on the other side of the phone are like, yep, we got you. We got you. We're going to put together the Barbie dream house. Just wait. Uh-uh. Come on, y'all. It's just what we do. He got the plan. He got the power. So we wait. Because he doesn't just have the plan and the power. He has great love that he demonstrated for us. So we can trust that, can't we? He already gave us his best. So we wait. But not only do we wait, we're spirit-led. Y'all know who wrote Acts? You know who wrote Acts? Some of y'all are like, wait, what? What? Wait, hold on. Yeah, your membership depends on this. <laughs> Actually, you know, earlier traditions, these books were split up, but it was one volume, Luke Acts. One volume. You know, I actually think when you see the Acts, it's written the Acts of the Apostles, but I actually think it could be the Acts of the Apostles empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because I think the Holy Spirit features real prominently in Acts. And I think it features real prominently in Luke too. And this is really, really important, especially you Trinitarian in name Christians. I'm gonna make you be one. You're gonna stay at the avenue, then you're gonna praise God the Spirit. Ooh, you ain't like that, because you making you scared. You're like, what are you, wait, wait, wait a minute, what are you trying to do? I'm just trying to make you live up to your creed. Nicene, apostles, you already said he was deity, and Luke trying to tell you there's nothing happening without the Spirit, baby. He's active, man. Look at what he's doing. First of all, I just need to remind you that God, we, we call these processions theologically, right? God had the plan. God, the, the, the Son, he redeemed his people. And now God, the Father, and the Son, they sent the Spirit. It's his time. It's his time. Check him into the game. It's his, he is there to complete the work, y'all. We need to give him attention credit, and we need to bless him, right? Look, it's his show. He's been sent by the Father. And, and D.A. Carson says that, when you see the Spirit coming upon Simeon and, and Elizabeth, Mary, all these things, it's meant to confirm the presence of God's climactic act in his great salvation work. He, the ultimate figure in our salvation, Jesus, was stamped. His ministry was stamped by the Holy Spirit. All, you can write this down. I'm going to read it slow. Text it. Put it in your phone. All that Jesus does is in, with, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. All that Jesus did was in, with, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Luke 4, Jesus is going to come to Isaiah. He's going to open the scroll in front of everybody, and he's going to say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is stamping his ministry, the Spirit's activity. Listen to me, y'all. If we make it to heaven's shores, it will be because God, the Holy Spirit, fulfilled his role in sealing us for the day of redemption. He's the, the Holy Spirit is the all-star right now, baby. Give him what he do. Come on, man. Luke is trying to help us understand the Spirit's role. Verse 25, 
We see the Holy Spirit upon Simeon indicating, once again, just like Jesus, once the Spirit comes upon, he comes with extraordinary power. He he enables ordinary beings to move with extraordinary power. Some of y'all need to be praying for more filling, fresh filling of the Spirit in 24. Touch my ordinary, Jesus. I need extraordinary joy, Jesus. I need extraordinary peace, Jesus. I need extraordinary wisdom, Jesus. Come on, man. Come on, man. The Holy Spirit, he provides things that master's degrees can't. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Verse 26, we see the Holy Spirit. Once again, just in case you were struggling with whether we should deify the Holy Spirit, we see him, his omniscience. He's revealing things to Simeon that only someone who knows the end from the beginning can. He must be God. Must be God. Hey, Simeon, you need to go here. You need to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. He's revealing his omniscience. Verse 27, the Holy Spirit is moving these pieces. He's controlling things. He's demonstrating his omnipotence because he just says, hey, Simeon, go to the temple courts. Can I just tell you? Take a deep breath. And as you stand on the horizon of 2024, I pray that you would allow your spirit to be open to where the Lord may lead because he's not arbitrary. There's going to be some things and some times that the Lord is going to move you in places. And it won't come through your morning devotion. It might not necessarily come through the scripture because the Lord is sovereign over all that. He might just say, get up, go, stay, move, be still. And why say, I want to be sensitive to where you're leading me, Lord. I believe there's some things we probably missed out on in 2023 because we was in a battle with the Holy Spirit. Come on, man. Anybody want to be more yielded? God, I just, where you want me to go, I'll follow. But get me in tune, Lord. Jesus' life, as Jesus' life was marked by the Holy Spirit, so should our lives. Write this down. We want to be united to the Spirit. We want to be yielded to the Spirit. We want to be empowered by the Spirit. United to the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And one of the things that we have seen repeatedly over these past couple Advent sermons is that (laughs) that was my attempt, that the Spirit usually empowers and emboldens people to speak. And after Simeon beholds what the Lord promised would come to him, he speaks. Amanda read it, verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, mm, 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 You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Let's just pause real quick. This is, we've been touching around different aspects of the gospel, the scope of it, the means of it, our access point. Um, all those different things that feature prominently. And right now, Simeon just praises God for different aspects of the good news. First of all, like you said, the consolation of Israel, that there is this comprehensive salvation 
politically, economically, socially, spiritual, that that babe is ushering into the world. And he praises God for that great redemption and rescue. Then he also, this one we haven't preached on much, but we preached about it in Romans 1, the scope of the gospel, right? He said, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And what's the salvation going to do? Is it just coming through David's son to the Jews? No, it's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel, the scope of the gospel to all who believe, right? then we see this kind of prophetic blessing that Simeon speaks over Mary and Joseph. He says, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to be the cause and the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Specifically, most theologians agree that this should be read first in the context of Jews, that this child is going to cause some to rise, those who receive that message humbly, um, and some to fall. But it is also a divine principle, specifically about Jesus. First Peter two goes on to t- First Peter two seven goes on to talk about the people who actually believe in Jesus. To them, he's a precious stone. And in verse eight, it goes on to say, "But to those who reject Jesus, he's a stumbling block who will eventually crush them." Where are you at today? I know there are unbelievers in this room. Just want to tell you, the hope of Advent is that this precious stone has broken into the world so that you can build your life on him. But make no mistake about it. If you don't build your life on him, you will stumble over him. And it will cause great harm to you. Goes on to say that, Even hearts will be revealed. You know, the word of God, like a double-edged sword, cutting through joint and marrow, exposing the hearts and minds of men. And lastly, just has sobering, truthful words that we believe were directed towards Mary. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Foreshadowing Jesus' death that would cause great pain and sorrow to his mother Mary. Remember, Simeon's song here is a part of a a three-part collection of what many call the canticles, these Psalter-like hymns that use Old Testament language and imagery. Uh, Mary did one, Zechariah did one, and they are named they're, they're in a, a piece of literature called the Vulgate. But Simeon's is named the Noon Demitis, or Now Dismiss. When Simeon beholds and sees what has been promised to him, he says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant. In peace. That is so beautiful. I'm good. I'm good. Here's the thing that tripped me out. There ain't been one prisoner set free. There's been no regime change. 
Simeon still in Jerusalem, not the new one, the old one. There's been no literal reason for him to celebrate yet. But just because he knows that the Savior has... I'm good. How about you? Has the one who will bring great consolation to the world, has he been born? Has he given himself to you? And what is the result? It was meant to bring you peace. It was meant to to get you to a point to say, I'm good. I can be dismissed. Let me just tell you, that is your Savior's heart for you. Not that you would be launched into 2024 in more fear and more anxiety and more peril about what's going to happen in this world. He prays that you know that that's already been settled. That you would get into the next 365 days and say, I'm good. As they come back and join us and lead us in our last song of worship. Let's close our eyes. We, uh, we got an infant in our family. And um, my, my kiddos are past this age of nursing and things like that. But you know, when you have newborns, it brings you back to just a primal kind of just instincts and tactics because everybody's trying to figure out how to console the baby. What we need to do, change it, feed it, walk it, clothe, what, just what we need to do. You can always tell, you can always tell what the baby is looking for by what they allow to console it. Oh, I changed you, but you're still crying. I guess you didn't need change. Oh, I fed you and you're still crying. Well, I guess you didn't need milk. We can tell what you're looking for by what you allow to bring you peace. And I think the reason why Simeon says I can be dismissed is because he wasn't looking for economic change. He wasn't looking for to find a husband or wife, whatever. He was looking for his savior. And when you're looking for your savior, he can bring you peace. In 24, let us get our eyes on the one who loves us and gave himself for us and let us receive this peace.